Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. From the dawn of agriculture in Jericho to the artistic achievements of the Italian Renaissance in Florence, what lessons can we learn from great cities throughout history? What factors give rise to periods of innovation and creativity? In this episode of Political Economy, Chelsea Follett previews her new book, Centers of Progress, 40 Cities That Changed the World. Chelsea is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute and managing editor of humanprogress.org. Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. What was your reaction to the notion that because of the pandemic, cities were over? Well, my reaction to that is that it would represent a big change. Now, obviously, with technology advanced uh, to the point that it now has it may be possible that in the future, the very long-standing trend of urbanization could at some point reverse. We may find ways to work productively with one another from uh, far apart, and maybe maybe it will happen. I don't know. I'm not in the business of predicting the future, but it's certainly true that up until now, throughout history, urbanization has been something bringing people together and allowing them to create so many incredible things and really create the modern world. And it's interesting you should bring up the pandemic, because as people were starting to stay home uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, that's actually when I began writing this book that we're going to talk about today. What is the purpose of a city? What what are they for? What do they do? Why do people come to them? That's a great question. At its heart, a city is a place where multiple people are gathered together. Now, not all the places featured in this book we're discussing are strictly speaking cities by our modern standards, but all represent significant population centers for the time period in which they're featured. And uh, that seems to be the key. Obviously, people have been around for a long time and most people were in rural areas throughout most of history. And yet most of the progress that we've seen, most of the greatest artistic achievements, scientific innovations, however you want to define progress, so many of those achievements came out of urban areas. And so when I set out to write Centers of Progress, at the beginning, I didn't have it in my head that all of the centers would necessarily be cities, but that's what it turned into. They're all either cities or about the closest thing to a city that existed during the era era in which it's featured. All right. You try to focus on some, some innovation, some way in which each of these cities has pushed humanity forward. Uh, and it's a it's a long scope uh, we uh, of cities. This isn't just in the you know uh, since the industrial revolution or twentieth century. Uh, this is throughout human history. Uh, city number one. Why did it make the list? The way I came up with the cities was to initially just make a list of the different innovations that make up the modern world. Things that we take for granted, uh, like agriculture, stable food supply. And that's what the first city is. Jericho is what many people believe to be the oldest city. Obviously, that's a contentious title, but the Neolithic era site in what is today Jericho also was around uh, where the start of agriculture uh, was. And the book features each city during a particular 
period of history and moves chronologically, but it also moves geographically with a certain logic because so many of the early cities are in that Fertile Crescent region of the Middle East where civilization really began, the region that gave us agriculture, writing, written legal codes. Uh, and more of the recent cities are in, uh, at the very end of the book, toward the modern age, and we end with the digital revolution of North America, the United States. And so you see how the different places in the world, which are at the cutting edge for their time period, how that moved uh, to different areas of the world over time. And although it's not a policy book, really. This is not an ideological book. It's not a political book. It's a book that you could easily give as a gift to a friend who is not political or who does not share any sort of free market leanings whatsoever. It would make uh, for a fantastic Christmas stocking stuffer, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Or whatever holiday uh, you celebrate or for birthdays, etc. It does have, I think, some policy lessons. You do see again and again that there are certain things that the places that have moved humanity forward have in common. Before we get that, I want to just do a couple. Uh, I, I want to get sort of the policy lessons of why these succeed and, and in some cases why they uh, decline. Uh, but I want to ask you, give me a, a city or two that perhaps you had never heard of before or was you were kind of unaware of, but you're like, hey, this is a pretty important place. Something very important happened here. Absolutely. I think that the most surprising one for me was Dubrovnik. It was a city I didn't know very much about. But during uh, the medieval period, it was a free trading supernova city state. And they made some incredible innovations in public health that allowed them to actually continue with mercantile expansion during the Black Death pandemic. And so they're featured for their innovations in public health in one chapter. Now, many of the cities in this book are going to be familiar to history buffs, you know, Florence during the Renaissance, classical Athens. But there are so many cities also in this book that I think are unexpected. And if no matter how much of a history buff you are, I think there will be at least a few cities in this book that will surprise you. Places like Nanmadol, the stone city in what is today Micronesia that showcases the far reach of the earliest seafarers for whom, you know, venturing out onto the ocean, that must have felt as intimidating as going to outer space to us. Cities like that. And so it is very geographically diverse. Uh, well, you, you started to say it and then I, I quashed you from saying it. So now I, now I will I, I will ask you, I mean, since there's so many cities and so many places over such a vast uh, expanse of time, is it possible to figure out sort of why Six cities, why cities succeed, at least for a while, why they become places uh, people want to go to, why they become places uh, of great innovations. That's a great question. If you are a mayor or an urban leader that you're trying to answer, right? how do you help your city become a great center of innovation and thrive? And what we see throughout history is that these moments of great creativity, the golden age of each city featured in the book, they tend to actually be very brief. Uh, these uh, cities flicker in and out of existence very quickly in terms of their actual creative peak. And we do see some common features. Obviously, as we talked about, cities are places with lots of people in them, at least relative to their era. And that creates more potential trade and collaboration and competition. And all of those things help move different kinds of progress forward. These also tend to be places that are very open to foreign 
people's ideas, trade. And that, again, helps with coming up with new solutions to the problems that the people are facing in these various cities. They also tend to be relatively peaceful during their creative peak. Now, not all of them fit that description perfectly. Rome, during the era when it's featured in the book, was still involved in some low-level wars of expansion, but it was a relatively peaceful period in its history. And so these three things, relatively high population, relative freedom or openness, and relative peace, seem to be the ingredients that we most frequently see uh, combining during the golden age of these cities. So, so cities that are experiencing a sort of a, a creative burst, and we'll in a moment we'll we'll, we'll talk a bit why maybe they these golden ages uh, don't become permanent. Uh, but these are places with drawbridge down policies, not drawbridge up. You don't become a a wildly creative place, uh, befitting of the term golden age. By building your walls, you know, ever, ever higher and, 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 and telling people, don't come here, go away, we're fine. That's correct. And that gets to that other question you brought up of, well, then what, what ends these golden ages? What stops cities that are being extremely creative from continuing to be that way? And in many cases, what we see is that they become much more closed. Many of the same uh, sorts of reactions that we see today sometimes to globalization. Those have been occurring for a long time. When you have people from different cultures uh, coming together, sometimes there is conflict and there is pushback. And we've seen again and again, many cities becoming more closed. And uh, the resulting policies, unfortunately, tend to bring their age of peak creativity to an end. One example would be Baghdad, which was at one point, although we don't now think of it usually as a center of progress, it was at one point a global leader in scholarship in many different areas, including mathematics and astronomy. It was the home of the House of Wisdom, where scholars from all over the world came together and did research. And at the time, it was relatively tolerant of people from different cultures, different religious backgrounds. But then what ended up happening was in the city, uh, certain factions that did not want to tolerate uh, the idea of knowledge coming from any outside source. They didn't want scholars from different religious backgrounds, different countries coming in and researching there. That contributed ultimately to the unraveling of Baghdad's golden age. The cities make comebacks. Uh, the city that had a golden age, the golden age stops. Then they have a second golden age. Of, of those 40, did they have a, was there a double golden age? None of the books, uh, none of the books featured 40 cities are featured twice. They're all only featured once. Uh, but that's a great question. And we do see many examples of resilience. Obviously, Florence during the Renaissance, which means rebirth, had just come out of a terrible pandemic and lost something like a third of its population before their era of greatest artistic brilliance. So it is possible for a city to rebound. Do you have any thoughts about why San Francisco, despite producing many of the advances of the digital age, doesn't really feel like a 21st century Florence? I think San Francisco is another great example of just how brief these flickers of creativity and innovation 
tend to be already. San Francisco's golden age is past. As I note in the book, uh, its placement as the last chapter should not be taken to mean that it is a place to be emulated as things currently stand. Unfortunately, there have been many, I think, disastrous policies that have contributed to its unraveling as a center of progress. And now many of the technology companies that helped to put San Francisco on the map are moving elsewhere. And we're seeing technological innovations be much more geographically dispersed. Uh, one example would be their very restrictive housing policies that have led to a crisis of uh, many unhoused people and related crime. And, you know, that's just one example. But that really does showcase just how brief these moments in history are, often only lasting a few decades. Silicon Valley happened organically. It wasn't planned. But can you create a city of the future intentionally? Can you centrally plan a center of progress? That's a great question. It does seem like there are certain policies you can implement to increase your chances. Again, if you can create an environment of relative freedom and openness, openness to new ideas, trade, a culture of intellectual freedom where people can debate controversial ideas. All of those things can help, but ultimately some of it's luck too. And there are also some exceptions, right? In the book, there are a few cities where, uh, not many, but there are a few where war and chaos became catalysts for change. It's not common, uh, but uh, sometimes even if you have all of the right ingredients, things still don't work out. And sometimes all of the wrong ingredients can somehow result in humanity nonetheless finding a way with human ingenuity to push forward and make incredible progress. Was it hard to limit your book to just 40 cities? I've had so many great recommendations for <laughs> cities at this point. I think if the book does sell well, if we sell out <laughs> and we're able to put out a future expanded edition, I'll be able to add 10 more probably. And who knows, maybe wherever you are listening to this podcast, maybe that is a future center of progress. Some very unlikely spots throughout history have risen to take the world by storm and surprise everyone. Uh, what was the what it was the uh, closest big city uh, that you grew up in and did it make the list? Um, Boston. <laughs> I considered featuring it during the American Revolution, but I ended up using uh, Philadelphia, the cradle of liberty for that chapter on the birth of modern liberal democracy. Uh, are you still allowed to return to Boston despite this really uh, terrible, terrible decision <laughs> to overlook your your hometown city? It's a good question. Um, we'll see if I'm ever allowed back. Uh, speaking of like, you know, you're, you're near Boston. Uh, I'm from Chicago. Um, had, despite my crazy last Greek last name, uh, you, uh, you mentioned Athens. But I'm also Dutch. Amsterdam. What, 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 what did Amsterdam give us? Oh, the Dutch Golden Age. So many things. Advances in finances, beautiful art. And that chapter, there were actually so many achievements in Amsterdam at the time. Uh, I mean, some people say this is the start of the the great enrichments when humanity really started to move out of poverty, uh, that it was difficult to pick just one thing. So the subtitle for that chapter is actually openness, because that's the overall lesson I took away from reading the story of Amsterdam. But like you said, this book, it's very wide ranging. It's a, basically a crash course in world history. And it's also very accessible. It's readable. It's a fun book. This is not a typical think tank book. I want to emphasize that as well. You can even give it to a young person, you know, it's accessible enough for a high schooler. You know, it's a history of, I mean, a history of, of cities, 
you know, that goes across a, you know, a wide expanse of time. That That is a history of us. That's a history of human civilization. I mean, if you're going to pick a lens or a frame in which to, to examine human progress, I mean, you could do a lot worse than just looking at looking at cities. If, however, you are not a city person and you are interested in looking at a history of progress focused on some of the specific people, the innovators that drove humanity forward. Next year, we actually have a companion volume coming out called Heroes of Progress, 65 People Who Changed the World, which I also urge you to check out. But first, since it's out now, I urge you to check out Centers of Progress. We are all capitalists here. We, we always have to push the product, current product, uh, and, 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 fu and future products as well. Um, I detect in modern America a bit of an anti-city feeling. Do we, as Americans, do we value the city enough? Well, that's a great question. I would certainly never want to tell anyone where they should live. If you are a country person or a suburbanite, go for it. Uh, but our cities really have historically been huge contributors to the creation of the modern world and so many things that make our lives possible uh, that I do think it's, it's something people don't appreciate and they don't think about very much. Chelsea, outstanding. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you so much for having me.